0: So we're going to start with turning your Bibles to the First Peter five. First Peter five. And I had about a four day or five day notice I was going to be teaching. So I just made this stuff up. And I just want to be transparent about that, you know. So I hope that all works out, you know. <clears throat> I got Fred right here. I mean, he's a, he's like the critic, you know. I can't be careful. <laughs> He's Jeff snitch. That's what he is, actually. Basically. Fred is a deep state. He's a deep state for the, for the Lord. Here we go. 1 Peter 5. I love this. He says, Humble yourselves, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful, though your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to de- uh, someone to devour. So resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers, or your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while in the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. <clears throat> I love this passage because sometimes it seems too external, too distant in our faith. We have a, a great faith, you know, close home right here, but sometimes you wonder what's happening later, what's going to happen tomorrow. And um, and I think that when we want to... I, title this to understand the power of practical theology in your life is that um it's important that we remember that god first of all cares for us second thing is there is an adversary um and a friend of mine pete Stazen, just went to romania with a group he's teaching biblical counseling there and he's preaching and they've had horrible uh trip i mean have been planes are canceling um people are getting sick it was just it just took him an extra day and a half just to get to Romania and on top of that when he gets there it just it just he can tell one thing after another is kind of falling apart and I just said well good thing I said you're a reformer and they don't believe in the devil I was just messing with him and he's like oh no I this I guarantee he's alive and well and it's true though it's true though we're we're sometimes we're sloppy because we we get um, complacent or we just get into a routine with our spiritual rituals and we forget that this is really, a, this is Christianity in real time and it, it requires us to understand um, theology. And so we're going to be talking about, and you can turn, we won't read it right away because I have a couple things I need to set in motion, but just turn the page. We're going to talk about Second Peter 1, 2 Peter 1, starting verse 3. But um, I can tell you the importance of theology in your everyday life. Um, Wow. It is really tough. And when you talk about theology in your everyday life, a lot of people get upset. And I hear them say, oh, everything's about theology. Theology is theology. that." Let me tell you something. Everybody has a theology. Everybody interprets God somewhat. And so when you have a good theology, that's why we always study theology, to keep it straight. Keep it. We're on the path. Because good theology brings strength, because it, it's a believing about God what God wanted us to understand about Himself. So, in some pragmatic churches, they might scorn this. It's like, ah, oh, no, we just love Jesus, and then they're all over the place, and their their theology and their their beliefs vacillate, and they're a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, hey, as long as we all love Jesus, we're fine. But the, they're only an inch deep and a mile wide in their in their faith. And when real pressure, when real you know, trials come, it usually sorts people out that really, because it's easy to trust a God in your own mind. It's easy to trust a God who you think he is. But when God starts revealing himself and what his purpose is, <clears throat> you you all of a sudden you, this the slave idea comes to surface saying, well, I'm his, he purchased me. He bought me from this and he brought me to this. And so I'm no longer a slave to sin, but now, i have a slave to Christ. Now, that means a slave to Christ is not a partner. It means we obey him. It means he has to say so. And so what is theology in ter- just in simple terms? Um, in simple terms, um, it's the study of the nature of God and religious beliefs, that being raw terms. But um, and it's the theology proper is the idea. I, I had a little illustration I wanted to show you in a, in a second here. But just laying the groundwork. We have to study theology proper. So I'm not trying to be technical. I want to be truthful about this. You have to have a, a, an objective uh, goal when it comes to theology. You know, what is the nature of God? Who is God? What is the Trinity? You have to be able to define some basic issues. The reason I know that is because I work on the other end of that for 28 years, helping people ...put into practice something they believe... ...and if they're, if they're all over the place... ...well I believe this person should do this... ...and I believe this should be that... ...and I believe that the Bible says this... ...and if you're all over the place... ...you're going to find the walk... ...the, the, the journey of Christianity pretty difficult. And so we call this the study of theology proper. The theology proper really... ...there's a... ...it's called patrology ...in real terms... ...and it just... ...that's two words... ...meaning that um, it's the study of the Father... combines father and the word and so we want to know the exact word of God we don't have to be theologians although all of us are theologians some level but we don't have to be specific theologians or go to college and understand Christ I can tell you that I wasn't designed for that so I'm with you on that but the longer you're a Christian the more you understand who he is the longer you can stand in the fire of persecution and by the way there's never been the world in this kind of mess even in Sodom, even in Sodom, they knew, send your daughters out. Send your sons out. You know, and they, oh no, you can have my daughters. And he throws his daughters to the bad guys. And the angels are in there, they's like, no, send those men out. Even they knew gender. Even in Sodom. But the madness of this own culture, are trying to deny even the God creation of genderism. I mean, this is a madness. This is a, This is an affront to God's creation. We're we're living in the last days. And sometimes we get caught up in the process of Sunday school, church, activities, going back and forth. And we start to have this cycle. Now we've got good habits. But the purpose of all this is really preparing us for something that maybe even John Huss, maybe, you know, Wycliffe, Tyndale, who suffered and died, tortured for their faith. They say, oh, that that happens to those guys, those spiritual guys, those long, long old guys, dead guys. No, it's it's going to get worse. There's probably more Christians persecuted in the world today than there was in the first century, just as pure numbers. And uh, we don't know what's happening underground, the underground church in China, and exit, you know, all those things. There's a lot of persecution. People are in jail for owning a Bible. And so I'm very serious about this because I know that you and I have come to this far. We, we actually saw where they were upset about feminism uh, back in the 90s, maybe early 80s or whatever. But now our children have to go through these things at an, at an accelerated rate. That's like 4.0, the culture. And so if we're not understanding practical theology in relation to what God wants us to understand... We are not going to train our children right. We're just going to kind of get them shellacked with religion again. We're going to help them go through the motions. We're going to tell them how to talk, how to say, how to act, make me look good. And we're going to lose the benefit of of raising children that have to live by faith that really believe the Bible is from God. They really believe God is alive. And truth is found in only one place where in this world, Truth is found everywhere. Theology proper should answer several things. I don't know if I have that on here or not. I do. Let's see if I can. Okay. Let's see if I'm oh, here's what here's what I'm gonna do. So I, I didn't um, am I right? Recording every word you say. Oh, I can't remember how to shut it off. Is there, like, a microphone here? I don't know. <laughs> You're asking me? That's good. Hey, it's How do I turn it off? Right here, right? Close see this. <laughs> do you see this? <laughs> Sorry. Do what? <laughs> oh, how you know? Okay. Well, that one's not on either. I don't know. where you were. Oh, there you are. Okay. So here's the importance. Here's some questions um, we should ask... Does God exist? What are his attributes? What's the Bible teach about the Godhead or the Trinity? Is God sovereign or do we have free will? Now these are questions, that are important. You could be asked those questions. You, your kids need to understand the answers to that. You need to believe that when you start searching the scripture. These are important things that we just take for granted. You know what we do? We do the we do the Teflon thing. You throw a hard one at me, it bounces off me, and it goes to my pastor. But you, your faith, you need to know yourself some of these things on theology properly that are important. Also, he talks about the attributes, of God, you know, God's omnipotence and omniscience, um, eternity, and all these things that are important. But you have to learn theology. Don't resist it. That's why we do offer it. It seems sterile. It seems academic. But we do offer um, systematic theology in our equipping classes. If you've never ever taken a systematic theology class, you should probably take it, just basic stuff. But here's the relationship between practical theology and theology proper. Here's how I look at it. I look at it as a baseball bat. Theology proper is the fat end of the bat. i mean, anybody played baseball, but, you know, all the, everything that's done in the game to win comes with contact between the ball and the fat end of the bat. I can cut that thing off, and I can just swing the short end faster than anybody, but I'm not hitting anything. It's not going anywhere. It has to have a good contact between the ball and the bat. I know it sounds simplistic, but the theology proper would be the fat end of the stick. It's a two-ended bat. It's both ends. The other side of that, the grip, is practical theology. Now, this is where the deficit happens in Christendom. This is what happens when we are... Always excited about learning about God, but we don't do anything about it. People come and get help. They get help, but then they don't do anything to, to change. They don't work out their salvation. They don't put in practice things that God wants them to put in practice. And actually, the devil will sell you 99 truths. He'll, he'll, he'll allow 99 truths to sell you one lie. So it's always about him distorting something we understand or don't understand. So it's important for us to understand about practical theology. That's the application part of theology proper. I think this is why uh, Brian and I work really good together because I'm working on this end of it and he's working on that end of it and they're not separate, it's the same bat. And so you learn how to grip the bat well, you learn how to handle it well, and, and all of a sudden now it's producing something for you. It's good when you learn something about the attributes of God, and it changes in your heart about something. And God set it up right before you have to suffer. Right before some of your family, you lose family members, right before you're, you're persecuted for something, right before you think everything's falling apart in my life, oh, the, the, you know, the sky's falling in. And all of a sudden, you remember who God really is. And your reverence for Him starts growing because you have walked, looked at the scripture which was sent for you, won't return void. It does what it's sent to do. And it's important that you understand those things, but the, the, the discipline of what you do, everybody else will say, just you need to just practice these things. This is imperative. Just do them. Well, I'm saying that it does. when it says put off something and put on something, it'll tell you exactly how to do that. And so practical theology is important to theology. And so... Um, Practical theology is a small end of the bat that you've got power here. Here's a point for me. What's theology proper is usually just learning experience if you're not good at literal application. If you're not really good at application, if you don't understand practical theology, you'll get caught up almost idolatry. It's almost like idolatry that you'll get caught up in learning more. I've got to have this degree, that degree. I've had guys have so many degrees, but they're never in the church practicing these things for other people. They're never at the service and availability of the kingdom of God. So what you know about God is not going to be helpful unless you're using it to serve God and his people. And Jesus said, but if you love me, keep my commandments. But he really didn't say how to keep his commandments. And so the second thing I want you to do, first thing I want you to see the relationship. Second thing, I'm just doing these terms before we get into the scripture so that makes more sense. The second thing is we need to understand the difference between Sovereign decree and providence. This is, everybody talks about it now. We're starting to, I can see a trend where Pastor Pastor Jeff talked about a little bit with, you know, 2 Corinthians 1. Um, Brian brings it up occasionally as well. But we forget what the differences are between uh, understanding sovereign decree and providence. And it doesn't ignore free will. You have choices to make. He wants you to turn. He wants you to believe. But obviously being a a kingdom person who was rescued by God has the grace to understand all these things. And God's providing the grace for you to even understand. Because it said the natural man doesn't know the things of the spirit. They're spiritually discerned. And so there is a difference between understanding uh, sovereign decree. And so... Sovereign decree really is defined as God's actively controls all that occurs in His creation. Now that's a pretty broad statement, isn't it? That people are having to go through suffering, and we're trying to rescue them, but the suffering was necessary for their redemption. It's it's just the way it is. I can tell you that so many more people. I can tell, when I was a young policeman, I had a guy um, I, who raised me as a kid. My dad was my dad was gone. He was in Vietnam and I was the oldest boy in my family. We're in the country, and things are pretty hard, but this guy always took me hunting. He always showed me how to fish, hunt, fix things. He he was just a younger, older, you know, he was a high school kid when I was in grade school, and eventually he came back from Vietnam. He went to Vietnam, came back, and killed a policeman, murdered him, and the family said, man, he called me up, and I'm already a policeman now, because I'm I'm back. The war's over. I'm back. I'm, I'm a policeman in St. Louis, and And so they call me and say, I want you to give a character reference for this guy. And and Cindy and I were both cops at the time. I'm like, what? He killed a policeman. You know, I know, but he was your friend. You could tell him how he helped you. The problem is people are always trying to rescue someone they think needs to be rescued. The worst thing that could happen to this guy is to go to prison. But now what happened 20 years after he was in prison, he came to faith in Christ. And his testimony was, no, I am exactly where God wants me to be. So sometimes our suffering, we forget. Sometimes things that are happening around us, we're forgetting that God's decreed will, he's understanding what he is, he's doing something. He's not dormant. He's doing something. Now you have to understand it. You say, well, this happened to me, that happened to me, this is poor me, poor me. And then you have to say, wow, I wonder what God is doing in his divine will. What's he doing? This eternal decree. Let's take a look at it, if you will. Just turn your Bibles to Ephesians 1. I just wanted you to be able to mark that and look at that as we're reading along. I'm going to turn it there. Ephesians, is the first chapter, verse 11. I'm reading from the ESV, but he said, he said, in him we were also chosen. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with purpose of his will. With the purpose of his will. In order that we who were first to to put our hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Now that's a disturbing passage to some people who want to partner with God. They want to partner with him. Here's the problem. So Steve Lawson, I just had to write this quote on here because it was so awesome the way he outlined it. He said, in many other biblical texts, teaches sovereign view of God's sovereignty. The text says, God works, that's using a present active participle of the verb meaning to work. Or to expend effort. The Lord actively exercises his reign, working out his purpose in what? All things. And using that terminology, Paul leaves nothing outside of the, the purview of God's active control. God, good or evil, good and evil, our choice to believe in or reject Christ, the rise and the setting of the sun. There's nothing that the Lord does not determine and control. I don't know if you're there yet. It's good and it's easy to say I love God's sovereignty until it's, it's used against you. Because if you belong to him, he'll use you for another greater purpose. He'll use you. He'll he'll use you to work through you, and that might even cause some suffering. And so you have to ask yourself this question. Well, I wonder what God is doing here. God is not absent of actually working out these things. We have to be careful how we think about that. So here's a point that's... Um, to make a note of this is a wrong view of God's sovereignty will result in you missing his purposeful work that benefits your growth and usefulness to God. Your usefulness to God. And so when you're resisting whatever happened, when the world started crumbling on you, the first thing you've got to say is that I'm standing by a God that nothing can crush. So I have to decide what is going to happen here. What is he doing around me and in me? What is his purpose for? How is he going to use me to further the kingdom? What's the real issue? It's not about you. Interesting. It's not about you. I know it hurts. I know those things can happen. And I, we don't ignore that. We try to be compassionate as you can, but you can so Of course it is. But something is rattling the cage of your own life so God can get to the real issues many times so he also used this word in, um, in the doctrine of eternity as well the eternal decrees uh, his intent and purpose for creation and all that he does is done accordance to this sovereign decree so remember that sovereignty is much bigger if you don't understand it there's a good book called um, Trusting God When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges I mean, a lot of you might have read that in here, but everybody needs to read that. Right, Jim? We just got it this week. Okay. Okay. It's, it's one of the staples you have to have. I'm saying if you want to understand the change process, I say the self-confrontation systematically takes you to and shows you exactly why you change, how we changes, the purpose of change, and where it starts with the gospel and goes all the way through, even talks about depression, anxiety, anger, all these things, parenting. Marriage, all the things are covered in practical theology. I would say for the sovereign side of this, for the theology proper side, you need, you know, Jerry Bridges' book. You need to read it. Take your time and go through it. Martin, yes. it has a guide in the back too that you can walk through as you're going through the chapters. Yeah, so it's got a guide to help you walk through that, ask questions, and yeah. Yeah, it's it's foundational because the more you understand the trusting God's sovereign work, the less... Well, I would say the more peace you have going through it, the more peace you have. What's the name of huh? it? Um, suffering, um, no, trusting God. Trusting God. Just take your time. If it takes a year, it doesn't matter. Take your time to go through it. It's it's rich. It'll change your perspective because it's not if we're going to suffer, is it? It's when. Because we're going to be challenged. Hey, you can't call yourself a Christian without a test. He's going to test you. James said that. That when trials come, not if they come. And so we have to be prepared. i The reason I'm saying this, and I'm sort of convicted by this, is that I think it's an intensity of our, our end times. I think there's an intensity of, of the world being upside down, and we're trying to politically fix all these things that we can't be fixed politically. We're trying to manipulate things, we, and we have opinions about all these things. And some of them are fine locally, but... the bigger picture is god's return to his kingdom to start his kingdom it's his return and what were you saved for that's the key isn't it now we want to talk about so we're going to we're going to help that with the doctrine compare that with the doctrine of providence this quickly this is just like a, a you know defining term so we can get into the meat of the scripture and so the Doctrine of Providence talks about God's care and governance of everything that happens. So and this would be a Romans eight twenty eight. You guys remember that. But it's like we know that for those who love God, all things work together. That's a part of that scripture I didn't really care about when I was going through hard times. Don't worry, it's all working together. Well, that's pretty nebulous. What do you mean working together? Yeah, well, God is in control of it. And he knows all the connections and he's connecting the dots. But we're not. I just trust that he is. For those who are called according to his purpose, not according to your purpose. I know, but I want to do this. I want to do that. My goal is to have this. And, my, and people are working, and they're working hard, and I want this career. and I want All that's fine as long as it's under the, the understanding, the umbrella of God's purpose if you're going to call yourself a Christian. I'm teaching at the law school of Convo in a week or two. And that's where I'm, I'm doing the same thing. That's more of gospel center, but I'm really talking about what is a Christian attorney. I mean, it's pretty difficult. But that's a place, that's a snake pit, that's a dark place to dive, to deep dive with the gospel. Okay? That's what I say. And so, you, but you can't call yourself a Christian when you're not functioning like a Christian. Being a Christian has more meaning than your success as an attorney. So I'm, I'm going to be having this message, but we're going to talk more about this. For verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Wonderful passage about providence. The point to me is it's God's active work around us and to us according to his sovereign will and decree. It's God's active work around you. What's act, What's actually happening? I like the way MacArthur said it. He said something like, people are always one of these religious experiences. They go wherever, oh God, the, the dynamic of God is happening, and especially in charismatic movement. you know, They're having this, and people are being healed, and they're, they're raising people from the dead, and let's go, and they're looking for the experience. He said, they just look around everywhere. Everything that's happened to you as a Christian that's been set apart for God is providence. You're seeing the hand of God. It's latent. It's a latent work of God. You can't see it actually, but you know when this turmoil is happening, when this crisis is happening, these are things God is working around for your good. He's involved you because there's a lot of crises out here we are not involved in. But in the world we live in, we have crisis and trials and tribulations. So since you're a Christian, you should know this is another important thing, that there are no random things happening to you. You should eliminate randomness. your vocabulary it's just not random that's not it's not that random if you're a christian you're used for god's purpose he's doing something with you and through you and so it's not like um, you know you're just like hopefully things work out you know we have we have good luck all these things no no this is we are instruments in the hands of god he's using us and so you eliminate the randomness of this why did this happen to me i would say no Wonder what God is doing because this happened to me. What does God want me to, how does he want me to respond because this is happening to me? It's critical. Very critical. So random belief is secular. Sovereign work is biblical. You've got to change your thinking on it. Now, if you don't believe it, you go back and start studying the attributes of God. Look at the, look at God's sovereign work and control. Look at Genesis 1 and 2. And actually, Genesis 1 through 11 outlines all of the theology in the Bible. You should read Genesis 1 through 11 at least once before you die. Okay? I'm just telling you. That's how good it is. But Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see what God created out of nothing. He created out of nothing. There's no randomness to his people. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's why it wasn't until I understood that and I, I submitted to that that my life changed. My life changed. I wasn't rattled I would get shaken for a moment. Then I remember I start training myself to think, well, the Lord is doing something here. What does he want me to do? And then when I look back at some of those things I had to go through, wow, I could see his hand in them. Then you're praising God over and over again. So look at Proverbs 19. I did it in two different versions here. Many are the plans of the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And I put this in NLT as well. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So you can expect God to act on his own promises when you claim them, you can't expect it when you claim them in your crisis while you're grieving the Spirit of God. In other words, if you're not understanding the sovereign work of God and you're resistant because you are obsessed with your own partnership and your own plan and you, you've, you're trying to rob the glory of God, whatever that is, and you're resisting that and you're angry about it and you're taking it out on everybody else because you're going through these trials and tribulations. You're grieving the spirit of God. Ephesians says that. So don't be angry. Put that off. It tells us all the things is don't grieve the spirit of God. And so we have to be careful that, that when we're grieving the spirit of God, we are not in a right relationship with God. Then we can't just have that grieving You know, mentality can't have the actual work of the grieving of the spirit and turn around and claim all the great promises of God. Just really doesn't work that way. So, biblical truth is important. I would say another thing that would be helpful for me would be saying this because we have the time and we're gonna just quit when we just run out of time. I would say that (laughs) there's a formula. The formula is, if you just write down these three things and put a line under it, I'll show you the formula. I don't even know if I put that in there. I don't think I did, no. Uh, your secret heart sin, just write that there. What's my secret heart sin? Your practice sin, that's the second one. And what you don't trust God with in general. Those three things. Your secret sin of your heart. You practice in what you repeat over and over again, and what you don't trust God with in general. I just have a hard time trusting God with my money, or I or my relationship, or am I whatever it is? I have a hard time trusting God. Put that in in the formula, put a draw line under it, and then you need to. This is the denominator, the power of the denominator here. You have to look at what God says about that, and what God thinks of you on his terms what God thinks of you on his terms what does he say about that because he makes it very clear he doesn't give a lot of footnotes and clauses and exceptions to things he he commands us to do now it's hard Christian, mature Christians should come to the place where they're empty of themselves and they don't expect more of good things just for me the more you get out of yourself the more you'll get into God it's important so, invest in these eternal things. Um, there's three things we want to do as soon as we get finished with the Scripture. I want you to turn to 2 Peter 1. You, got, you should be there pretty close. And he says this. His divine power has granted to us all things. When he's granted something to you, you didn't ask for it, but he's granted these things to you, his divine power shows the, the majestic God he is, it shows his uh, power, and he's granted something to you, shows his divine decree, his sovereign decree. He has granted you something. they're supernatural. Uh, John MacArthur calls it transcendent. You know, it's something bigger than just human experience. That pertains all of life. He granted to us all things, not some things that pertain to life. Now, if you said this in another way, would be uh, we would talk about this in terms of of life eternal. How did you? How were you saved? What happened? And and so you would see that it's about how you got here. Some people still think they partnered with God. Some people still think justification has some dealings with man. No. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that your your very life was God's idea and God's work. I had the privilege of um, sharing the gospel with a lady that has a month or so to live um, on Friday. And she was reaching out. She needed help. And the one thing that was hard for her to grasp was that you don't have to be good enough to go to heaven because nobody's good enough and we had to go over that and over that and then I would just say so, so what does it take to get to heaven and eventually you could see the light come on and she was like it takes Christ, it takes God that's right read scripture over and over again and people have to understand that this life is given I don't think we ponder on that enough I'm going to be talking about that in Grace and Granite coming up talking about what to meditate and ponder What does that mean and how the reformers did that successfully? But so life is the first part that he said, I've granted you all the power to have life. And he says, and godliness. First one is justification. Second one is sanctification, godliness. He wants you to grow in the likeness of Christ. That takes trials and tribulation. That takes suffering. You will be tested and you'll be marked just like that. Jesus learned obedience through his suffering, Hebrews 5.8. And if he learned that through his suffering, I guarantee you we will. I'm just trying to help you see this, the magnitude of this, all the sanctification, everything it takes to change you, to grow you, to mature you, is what God's saying. I've provided all that. We don't need the philosophy of the world. Colossians 2.8 said no, you can't put your trust in the things in the world and man, only in the things of God. We don't trust in all those things. We have the Bible. We have everything we need for our change. Now, he doesn't say he's given us everything to know how to, you know, speak other languages and to, to uh, make a repair a tractor or build a home. He didn't say that. He's saying, but for your mature, for your character change, for your morals, for your integrity, I've got everything. I'm, I'll grant you everything you need. And then he goes like this. He says, and then. The place of this happens is through the knowledge of him, which is the scripture, who called us to his own glory and excellence. He called us? He called you? No, I called him. He didn't call me. That's not what the scripture says. I don't know if you can interpret that or exegete that better. I don't know. But I do know he says that he he called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted. Here's the second time he used this. His precious and very great promises. What he do? He granted us those precious and very great promises. The Bible was dead. I asked my brother if he would just read the Bible. and thinking that maybe something would click. He's a new ager <clears throat> in his 60s. And I said, I just want you to read the Bible. And he said, I've read it seven times. Seven times? He goes, yeah. I said, I got it in different. Every time I find a Bible at the flea market, I just pick it up and start reading it again and again and again. He goes, it's just nothing. There's nothing in it for me it's a good book but it's not for me because dead people can't read dead people can't think they can't see they're blind they're dead god has to grant them life so again maybe god i was praying the lord would come i pray that god would grace them with repentance he would see it and turn on the light so he's saying these great promises that come to us that's the answer he says, by which, verse 4, he has granted to us precious promises. And so through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature. Let me ask you a question. What divine nature is he talking about? What's the divine nature he's talking about here? Anybody? Wow. Is it Christ-like? I'm sorry? Christ-like. Christlikeness. That still seems a general term. What's that look like? What's Christ likeness look like? You're right. Sanctification. Sanctification another term that's kind of generalized. Let's get down in the weeds. And that's true. Sanctification. Christ-likeness. But if I tell somebody who's brand new in the faith is Christ-likeness, what does that mean? Christ in you. I'm sorry? Christ in you. Christ in you. That's a good concept. It's a truth, but people think and say, wow, okay, Christ in me. How do I feel that? How do I know that? What, what, what's, what's it actually look like? His righteousness. I'm sorry? His righteousness. His righteousness. So you, now you're getting in the right territory. So now we're gonna, we have a propensity, a desire to do what is right. Yeah. We can start seeing that's fruit of our salvation. That's fruit of the divine nature working in you. It's evidence of you being a saved Christian, of course. Anything else? Any other ideas? Get in the weeds a little bit. What is it? Trajectory of obedience to his word to the... Right. Now we're getting again. See, we're getting into it. Now we want to obey him. I want you to turn 2 Corinthians 5, and I don't want to step on Pastor Jeff's lesson here, but he's not, he's not the fifth chapter yet. Maybe most of you guys will forget this before he gets there. Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, starting verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Can can the love of Christ control a dead person? No, that's the answer. I didn't want to wait for you to say that. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Who is that? Jesus. Therefore, all have died. Who's all that died? I'm sorry? Yeah, believers. Of course it is, because unbelievers, if they died to themselves... They'd be saved, and so we're we're now we're back into universalism. Now everybody goes; nobody goes to hell. Those who believe, Second John three sixteen, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. One of the evidences of godliness, one of the evidence that the principle that we're talking about here is a selflessness. That's getting in the weeds. Life is no longer, it's not about me anymore. And so that's how you know that he's talking about, he's in part of this divine nature. is one of the things that he's bringing out in the word of God and what it's producing in you, the divine nature, is that it's a selflessness. Now we still vacillate, we still... Of Romans seven, we know that the old man is still there, and we still, we still go over there, and we still can sin. But it's not where we want to be. Having escaped the corruption in, that is in the world, and it's probably driven by Democrats. Wrong, you know. I like to say that. I had to say that. Okay, but it's not true, is it? It's not driven by Democrats because of what? Simple desire that's the problem See, we never want to look inside for a real problem and mark said everything that defiles a man comes from within so real christianity is understanding that all the battle you'll ever face is inside everything is going to be the most important thing you'll ever challenge in your life is your own heart in fact you're probably the greatest sinner you know amen <laughs> yeah i am I mean, that's it's, 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 it's the battleground. If you want to take the war, you want to take what you have, this word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God, you want to take it to go do battle with something, go after your own heart. That's the greatest battlefield you ever get. It's, whatever, it's what everybody talks about in the scripture. Jesus always pointing to the heart as the real problem with this endemic sin and the issues of our flesh because of sinful desire. And for this very reason, I make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with what? Finally ends with what? Love. Love is really other-centeredness. Here's three things I want you to see we're going to leave. I want you to, first of all, to have a fruitful life by living under the Word of God rather than parallel to the Word of God. What I mean by that is it does have authority over you. If I am talking to Christians, you can basically say in love, in the right context, with a lot of compassion, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And then everybody should be standing and we should be listening. We sort of had a tradition in our home, and we'd be working through something, and the kids would be doing some of their homework or whatever, and they had some Bible work, and they would come down the steps, and they would say, Dad, look what the Bible says here. No matter what we're doing, everybody stops and listens. Okay? Tell us what the Word of God says. I've just trained everybody. We don't talk and play. We shut off TVs. We do everything. When somebody says, hey, look what the Bible says here, or look at this, or that, we made an effort to make sure we tell our kids that's how important this is. Live under the authority of the Word. It's hupomento. It's that how to get under the Word of God. Let it be, have authority over you. We don't usually do that. Only parts of it. If I would look at your Bible and you would look at mine in a real functional way, my Bible would be about the size of the book of John. Okay? Because I don't want to submit to a lot of those things. You say, oh, I like this. I love the Old Testament stories. I love part of this New Testament. But what, is, what really has authority over you means you're living under the word of God. That's all scripture inspired by God. It's important. Parallel means it's there for me when I have a need. When I become the center of my world, I have a need for it. I'll reach out to God and I'll get help because God's faithful to me and he cares for me 1 Peter 5 7. Second thing live every day expecting afflictions and trials to grow you will not mature without afflictions and trials plain and simple if you don't understand it I don't want you to have to go through it right now you're like I don't have an affliction I need a trial No, you're, <laughs> don't do that go see Nate if you want to have more trials you'll be fine no don't do that but just understand you will you Thank God that your marriage is, ten, is, is tested. Thank God that your children are difficult. Thank God that, that your boss is, is pain. Thank God for all those things because they help you mature, because it makes you have a priority of life, that God is doing something, and he's helping your sanctification. I met a little Mike, uh, I called him uh, shepherd boy, Mike, uh, Lowry. Yeah, Mike Lowry. I called him a little shepherd boy. And uh, because he was just like, an insignificant little guy in our staff, we'd have a staff meeting, and, if he, and he'd sit there and I'd take a picture of him and I'd send it to Brian when he was on vacation. And I'd say, Hey, the little shepherd boy's here. We don't really need you. And Martin, he was like, What? And he was laughing. He goes, I know. that God wants you to use him now. But I just kept calling him Little Shepherd Boy. And one day, Little Shepherd Boy kind of turned mean. <laughs> thought he was sweet, but he wasn't. We were sitting there, and he said, um, He's like, you know, everybody thinks everybody knows Mark's a pain, and they all said, yeah, yeah, everybody's yeah, high five, and you know. And I'm like, what? And they said, but you know, if if something's wrong with Mark, then why did he? Why did God give him to Cindy? Something must be wrong with Cindy for her sanctification. Anyway, we wrote Mike out of our will once I told Cindy. We we can't have that anymore. Here's the last one. Live humbly and that your responses to trials and afflictions are, are, the sovereign, are sovereignly the real test. Are sovereignly the real test. Unless you want to pass a test. How you respond to a trial is far more important to God than the trial that happened to you. Because that's where the test is. How did Job respond? How did Paul respond to those trials? How did Jesus respond? It's the response of all what you're placed in is becomes the real test. Right? James. James 1. All right. Father, thank you again for our time together and my friends who love me, regardless of myself. And we just pray for Pastor Jeff again. We lift him up in prayer. Bless them. May these truths just reign in our hearts and make us strong Christians. That we will train our own people, our own siblings, our own nieces and nephews and children and grandchildren to trust God because of the big war that's coming the challenges of this world that are so wicked and evil so protect us and bless us and may we and our responses